Amen. Well, it's good to be here together to worship King Jesus and ask you to please turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, the first five books in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you're not sure exactly where that is, that's all right. You can find it right there real quick, real quick. Fifth book in the Bible. Well, today we wrap up our series on family discipleship out of Deuteronomy 6, but hopefully this won't be, this won't be the last time we talk about it, or the last time we ever think about it, or the last time we ever get equipped for it. I know it won't be. And I, uh, we pray, the elders and our leaders, hopefully that this command from the Lord to walk in this will become really a part of the, the fabric of our church that as we're following the Lord Jesus and as we're making disciples and making much of Jesus, that we're remembering the call to make disciples at home, to point our children to Christ and proclaiming to the next generation his majesty and his mighty deeds, and that we would encourage one another for this, that we would help each other and, and pray for each other's families and children and even hold each other accountable to this area of proclaiming Christ to those in our, in our very homes. And today I think we'll see is probably the largest piece of family discipleship, uh, how we diligently teach our children about God's grace and his glory and his gospel. And as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the word of God. And we'll begin in verse four and we'll read through verse nine. And the Holy Spirit says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now. Would you help us by your grace and by your power to love you with all that we are? Would you help us by your grace and by your power because you first loved us? Would you help us to teach diligently to the next generation of our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews about you, Lord, and your greatness and your glory and your majesty and the fame of your name to the ends of the earth and into eternity, Lord. This is our request now, that we would all take on this ministry of proclaiming your fame to those who are behind us. And it's in your mighty name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Netflix is really, I think, a fascinating addition into human life. It's a streaming sociological experiment, and especially when it comes to the habits of children. Let's do a quick question, true or false. Children watch a movie one time and never want to see it again. Yeah, false. But I don't know how many times I've seen Spy Kids 2. Spy Kids 1, like three times. Spy Kids 3 one time. Spike, it's two. It's in the dozens of times. Why? 
Why is this one movie always on repeat? Why are the same songs always on? Why do kids seem to go through these kind of cycles of entertainment or media or books or whatever they're enjoying? Why? Or why can they play the same game of chase for hours? Because God made them this way. I think to show us something about God. I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton. Listen to what he says. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Repetition. Do it again. Kids are strong enough for repetition. God is certainly strong enough for repetition. And maybe this is part of having a childlike faith. Having this holy repetition and rehearsing the things of God and us never getting bored of them and us doing this in remembrance of him. As we said last week, to diligently point our children to God is the Hebrew word of repetition and repetition and repetition. Moses calls us to walk in a childlike faith and to tell them again and to tell them again and to tell them again when you lie down, when you rise. To tell them about the God who makes chickens when you're scrambling their eggs. To tell them about the Lord's power as thunder crackles over your house. To tell them of the grace of God when they sin. And to tell them again about Jesus' death and resurrection and again and again and again and again. Remember what God has shown us about family discipleship, but it is repetition. And even repetition is built into the mechanism of family discipleship because first we saw it's it's not just a, a one kind of thing. There's really three kind of rhythms of family discipleship. And the first one, it starts with us modeling. Us modeling before our kids what it looks like to follow Jesus. That we are a walking curriculum to our children on what Christianity is. Warts and all. Sins and all. This doesn't mean if we're going to model godliness to our children, this doesn't mean that we are marble statues of Christian perfection. No, this means that we are, as Romans 12 says, we are living sacrifices. Having our minds renewed daily. Being transformed into the image of Christ. So if we're being transformed into the image of Christ and we're on our way, this means we will sin in front of our kids. And we don't pretend like it didn't happen. But in that moment, we model for them what it looks like to confess your sins and to believe that God forgives your sins and to believe in the grace of God and what it looks like to walk in newness of life. So we model what it looks like to love the Lord our God. And that was two weeks ago. Then last week was on these intentional times. Then we model in an intentional time of opening the Bible, opening God's word, opening a study book, and just laying out to them what God has done and showing them about God's grace and his holiness and his awesomeness and his love for us and his gospel. And then today we talk about captured moments. Look at verse seven. Deuteronomy 6, verse seven. So we have modeling 
We have intentional time and then captured moments. This is what Moses talks about in verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And here he goes. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So these two elements of intentional time and captured moments, this is a great summary of what family discipleship really looks like and really discipleship in general. I've heard from some of you who are thinking, man, I can, what we're learning in this series, I can apply to how I want to reach my coworker or how I want to reach that new Christian in my in my family, that new Christian in my office place. This is normal discipleship, just now geared towards our children. These three things, modeling, intentional time, and captured moments, isn't this exactly how Jesus walked with the disciples? These three things, exactly. He modeled before them what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and how it, what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself even if it requires laying down your life. Didn't he model for them and show them what it looks like to love God? And then didn't he grab these intentional times of teaching them? Sermon on the Mount, Olivet Discourse, the parables, and then the captured moments. How come that tree doesn't have any fruit on it? Let me tell you why this tree doesn't have any fruit on it. And he curses this fig tree. Why? Because there's no fruit on it. See, Jesus grabs these captured moments in the one where the, the widow and she drops in her two copper coins while they're at the temple. And Jesus says, you see what that woman just did? She gave more than everybody here. See, Jesus grabs these moments and says, let me, let me show you. And I love this one in Matthew 16. Just listen. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. So they're standing around. Ah, we don't have anything to eat. Jesus says, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay? They're like, oh, we don't have any bread. Jesus says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then, verse 7, they began discussing among themselves, saying, we didn't bring any bread. <laughs> what is Jesus? They're saying, we don't have any bread, Jesus. What are you talking about? Did someone else bring bread? What, what are you talking about? But Jesus, aware that they don't understand what he's saying, he says, oh, you have little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves that the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive do you not remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets were gathered? Don't you know that I can snap my fingers and there'll be bread coming out of your eyeballs? Or the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or is it that you fail to understand that I'm really not even talking about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 12 says, Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus grabs this little random, what seems like a, just a passing moment. He says, you, know, you need to watch out for something more than, oh, we don't have enough bread. You need to watch out for the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees because that will kill you. That will kill you. And then later the disciples are arguing, who's going to be greater in heaven? And this is a great discussion among Christians. Who, who's going to have a greater spot in heaven, you or me? I think it's me. I think it's me. And then what does Jesus do? He teaches in and says, you know what? Bring this little kid over here. You need to be more like this little kid. Because whoever is just like this little kid will be great in heaven. He doesn't just wag his finger at them and tells them, you guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. He teaches them about humility. He grabs that moment and teaches them about humility. Guys, discipleship happens in the margins of life. 
This is when ministry happens. Most of parenting, too, happens on the fly. The kid did this. Kid didn't do this. Parenting doesn't happen in the sterile laboratory. Parenting happens with spaghetti on the floor, a dirty diaper somehow got opened, crying because a Capri Sun straw fell out again, and crying because another kid's making fun of another kid. This is when parenting, it's not the sterile environment. And neither is discipleship because embedded into all of these moments on the fly is when family discipleship happens, when your ministry happens. I love, look at verse seven again. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And here's where it goes. You shall talk of them. You shall talk. Moms, dads, you shall talk. You shall get in the game, not just give resources, which is good, not just uh, t- uh, you know, tell them, okay, what would you learn in Sunday school? That's good, but you shall talk. You shall get into the game with them. You humbly lean forward and just dive in and talk about God's ways and his grace, and you shall talk. Don't stiff-arm conversation. Get into it. Don't just command your kids, but converse with them. You shall talk. And it really, like, your kids know so much about what's happening in the world because they're very observant. Like, they know what's happening, most of them know what's happening in politics right now because they're probably, one, talking about it on the playground for some reason. And my daughter told me the other day, she's like, I, you know, we're driving. She's like, I just wish we could pick a, a different person for president this year. And so she's like, this is horrible. I was like, yes, it is. Why can't you be president, Papa? Well, there's a lot of things like why I can't be president. She said, I'd vote for you. So I appreciate that, and I believe you. But she's probably hearing what she knows. We're not sitting around watching the news together at night. She's probably hearing this from friends at school maybe who's heard, who've heard it from their parents, or maybe she's heard random comments from, from us. So in that moment, right there, you can jump in and go, I know, it's, it's not ideal, but... God is in control. The book of Daniel says that he sets up kings and he removes kings. So our hope is not in who's president, but our hope is always in God. You grab that moment and, and remind, of the, remind yourself of the truth and of your children of the truth. And that's really even the first question in our catechism. What is our only hope in life and in death? That we have the president we were hoping for. No. But that we are not our own, but that we belong to God. And that's really for the whole church. If the, the, that catechism, we're all, we all want to go through this together as a whole church, top to bottom, going the same pace together. Now we're on to question two this week, and you can still keep working on question one just so we can teach diligently about the ways of God. And look at verse seven again. So you shall talk of them when? When you sit in your house. We all do this, even with your busy schedules. I know we're all super busy, but you sit in your house. And see, this isn't adding anything more to our schedules. This is redeeming our schedules. As you sit in your house, when you're doing the laundry, one of the things I notice about my wife when she's doing the laundry, it's such a monotonous weekly activity, and she was telling our daughter how when she's doing the laundry, she tries to pray for the people whose laundry she's folding. So if it's mine, she's praying for me. If it's her, praying for her. If it's Oliver, praying for him, and then telling her, when you do laundry one day or when you're joining me right now, let's pray for the people whose clothes we're folding. She's just sitting there folding clothes but praying, an inactive time, really. But grab that moment and use it to your advantage. But we have a big problem today. iPhones, 
iPads, tablets, Minecraft, Angry Birds, Fruit Ninja. They've basically taken any margin sliver of boringness in life and they've grabbed it and now it's just gone. This kind of inactive time has gone. So listen, I'm saying enjoy these things. I love our technology. I love iPads. I love iPhones. I, I love them. But don't punt all of that time in your house to devices. Capture these moments and make them your servant instead. Don't make it weird with your kids either. Like, son, it's time we have the talk. I need to tell you about the early formations of Christology and the Arian controversy and the residual heresies in our modern day. Hope you brought your notebook. Don't do that. <clears throat> that's, <clears throat> that's important stuff, to be sure. But your 10-year-old's probably not going to enjoy that. It's probably more enjoyable to talk about the power of Christ, the miracles of Jesus, acting out how Jesus helped the man with the weak hand and how he was, by Jesus' words, he was able to make that, hands, that man's hand grow and be healthy and strong again. Talk about what you love. Jimmy, I was reading my Bible today, and I love it when God said that he summons the lightning bolts. And they say, here I am. Let's go watch this awesome lightning storm on YouTube. And let's watch God boss lightning bolts around together. Wow them with God. Look at verse 7 again. You shall teach them diligently. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. So now, really, the car. The car, from my experience, is one of the best places to have God-oriented conversation. And Moses is capitalizing on the same thing. And they're doing a lot of walking in Israel. 40 years of walking. They got a lot of time to talk. So Moses says, don't just let go of this time. Use it. So we're in the car. It's a great place to have these God-oriented conversations. Number one, because your kid's locked in and they can't escape. So again, don't turn over all this time to movies. Sometimes it happens. Like when you're, we're coming home from our soccer game yesterday, and one of the, the younger ones, a little bit more grumpier than usual. And there was no, let's just put on Lion King, and let's just all hope we make it home alive. <laughs> so don't always punt the time away. Then don't selfishly listen to your own music or to sports radio. Don't do that all the time. I'm, I want to we got to have the balance here. Enjoy the music, enjoy the sports radio, enjoy the movies, but don't just give it all away. Listen to worship music. Ask them, ask them what their wor- favorite worship song is. And if you don't have it, go buy it. And listen again and again and again. Listen to scripture being sung, because I need it too. See this as really as a time to engage with them. Go over verses you're memorizing together. Go over the catechism questions. Pray together. Pray for their day. Ask them, how can I pray for you today at school? Ask them, will you pray for me today? I have this going on at work. Something's come up. Will you pray for us? Will you pray for our sick family member? Will you pray for our friend? In the car, I think you can even teach a powerful Christ-centered view of creation, especially with younger ones, two, three, four. I'm taking Oliver to his little preschool the other day, 
And on the way there, you know, we're just trying to work on colors because I was really nervous about his colorblind stuff. He's, he's not colorblind, but I was worried about it. Like, hey, he just can't get his colors right, but he's there now. And we're driving. I said, hey, buddy, do you see any trees? Yeah, right there. I said, great. What color are they? Green. Good. Good, buddy. They are green. Who made those trees? I did that. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. No, you did not do that. You didn't do that. Jesus made those trees. Jesus do that? That's right. Jesus made those trees. And then a couple days later, ask him again. We're playing in the yard. Who, who made those trees? I do that. No, you didn't. Jesus did that. Jesus did that? Yeah, bud. And he looked around the neighborhood and said, Jesus made all of the trees. I said, yes, buddy. You're right. He did. It's Colossians 1. By him, all things were created. Made through him and for him, all things were made. We can teach our little kids how God the Son is the creator of all things. He's developing a Christ-centered view of creation at almost three years old, and I didn't have this till college. I didn't even learn till college that, oh, yeah, Jesus, the New Testament says, is the one who spoke and created and flexed and put all of this into existence. And then we're driving home from Mission and Community the other night, and now Ivy, my almost eight-year-old, is teaching her brother how Jesus made the light. And she's asking about things that they're seeing. Say, who made that? Jesus made that. That's right. Everything we're seeing outside the car, that Jesus made that. As you go by the way, look at how you can point them to God's world. This is the Psalms. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Show them his handiwork. Look at verse 7 again. So when you walk by the way and when you lie down, you see, this is really like all of life, just grabbing these random moments and leverage them to teach them about Christ. So when you lie down and when you rise, end and beginning, the alpha and omega of your day should be the alpha and the omega. Teach them to thank God for their day at night when they pray. To thank God for the joys of life, to thank God for his blessings. Moses is showing us how to develop a God-centered view of the world and really shaping the whole environment that we're in to have an awareness of God and this being God's world that we're in and us living for his glory. Then look at verse 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, some of his commandments, his mighty deeds. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, what is this? The frontlets and writing them on your door and then putting them on your hand. This isn't fixer-upper Israel edition. Moses isn't giving interior decorating tips. Because we all know it's possible to hang stuff on your walls and then forget it's there and it bears no meaning on your life. So this is not what Moses is getting at. This doesn't mean you have to put scripture on your walls. And you can if you want. That's great. But even some Jewish people today, they stress over buying the right metzuzah. And is it that having the, it's the word here in Hebrew on doorposts. And so the teaching that goes over the doorposts, so do we put it horizontally? Do we put it vertically? And so now most people and rabbis of the centuries are like, okay, we'll put it at an angle just to make sure we cover our bases. No concern about are we going to obey what the word says or are we going to follow and love the one that this word is pointed to in Christ? 
We got to make sure we have it slanted and make sure we get a nice one. Don't want to get the cheap one on Amazon. Let's get the nice one by the Metzuza designer. This, this is not the spirit of what Moses is getting at. He is telling us by putting it on your hand, by putting it between your eyes, by putting it on your doorpost, by putting it on your gates. He's telling us, do not forget God and his word. That this word should be a light into your path and a lamp into your feet. That it should be the lens through which you see the world. The lens through which you see the world should be the word of God. And that the word that sets apart your life, as you walk out into the world, if you leave your doorpost, you leave your house, maybe you're not, you don't have any lands. Think about in Israel's day. Maybe you're in lower income and you're leaving your house, just walking right out into the world. Or you leave your gates, you've got tons of property and you're very wealthy and you've got all, and you walk out, he says, don't forget God. As you leave and go out into the world, let the word of God be the lens through which you exist and the lens through which you see the world. That's why we create these moments for our kids and you're dropping them off at school and you're, or you're picking them up and praying for them, reminding them, about God's word, reminding them about the scriptures they're memorizing. And you can even create, as you capture these moments, even create milestones for some of our kids that they remember. These milestones are like spiritual moments that they can look back on. Their baptism, if they know the Lord. Take a nice picture of it and have it for them. Help them remember the date of that so they can just remember God's work in their life. And Ray Ortland, who's one of my heroes, the other day wrote on his blog, it was on September 7th when he wrote this, his blog says, and he, on this blog was a picture of this Bible. And it says, 50 years ago today, September 7th, 1966, my dad and mom gave me a new Bible. It was my senior year in high school, the first week of a two-a-day football practices, and I crawled home that day bone-tired. Mom made a special dinner for me since it was my birthday, and dad gave me this new RSV, the Revised Standard Version. As you can see, the, the description is significant. And he put a picture of what his dad wrote. His dad wrote, But nothing could be greater than to have a son, a son who loves the Lord and walks with him. Your mother and I have found this book our dearest treasure. We give it to you. In doing so, can give nothing greater. Be a student of the Bible, and your life will be full of blessing. We love you, Dad. 9-7-1966, Philippians 1-6. And Ray writes commenting on this. As I read these wonderful words today at the dinner table 50 years ago, it never occurred to me to think, dad doesn't really believe that. It's just religious talk. No, I knew he meant it because I watched him live it. He was a student of the Bible and his life was full of blessing and I wanted what he had. It took me a few more years to get clarity in some ways, which is not surprising. But on this day so long ago, my dad said something to me that left a deep impression. It moved me then and it moves me now. Have you said this yet to your son? If you will, he will remember it 50 years from now. Notice what Ray captured there. He'd mentioned his dad modeled it to him. That was intentional and captured. All three happened just in that little, in that that gift. Modeling, intentional time, captured moments, They're personal, meaningful, and precious. 
So as you walk by the way, and you lie down when you rise, lay them before your children repeatedly, even monotonously, day in, day out. And when they ask, why are we doing this? Tell them. Look at verse 20. Because Moses anticipates this is what they're going to ask at some point. Look at verse 20, chapter 6. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? So, you're, so the kids are asking in Israel, why are we remembering the Ten Commandments? Why are we going to this tabernacle? What, what are we doing? Why do we do this? When your kid asks, why are we doing this Bible study? Why did we start praying at bedtime? Why are we doing a catechism? Why did we go to Redeemer Church on Sundays? Why am I learning about God? What do you say to them? Verses 21 through 25. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You know what the answer was he summed up? Moses says, tell them. When they ask, Tell them what God did for you. Tell them of the Exodus. Tell them how we were Pharaoh's slaves. But the Lord stretched out his mighty hand through a series of 10 plagues, and he delivered us, and he spread the sea, and we walked through it safely, and the Lord delivered his people. The Lord has redeemed us, and now we are in a relationship with the Lord. Moses' whole answer was about being redeemed and having a relationship with the Almighty God. So today, Timmy and Sally, you tell them, I was a slave to sin. I was under the rule of the prince of the power of the air. I was dead in my sin, and I was without hope in the world. But Jesus stretched out his mighty hand and put it on the cross, had nails pierce his skin, and he died on the cross for my sins. And he rose again from the dead, delivering me from the clutches of Satan, delivering me from the wrath of God to come. And by his resurrection, I have new life in him. The Lord has redeemed me. And now we have a relationship with the Lord. Now I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now I know Jesus Christ in the power of his resurrection. And now he calls me his friend. And now he calls me his brother. And the triune God is my God. The Father is my Father. And the Spirit is my helper. And so the cross of Christ is why I'm teaching you to pray. The empty tomb is why we are singing on the way to school. The forgiveness that Jesus offers is why we're reading his word and why we're following him, why I believe in him and do you believe in him, Timmy? Do you believe in him, Sally? And will you? Will you believe in the Lord's outstretched arm? Will you believe in his mighty, marvelous grace for you? Beloved, the goal in family discipleship 
is by God's grace for our children to love Jesus more than they love us. The goal in family discipleship is that our children would love Jesus more than they love us. For what did our Lord say? Anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. We want our children to love Jesus more than they love us. Discipleship is all about directing them to Christ. Like John the Baptist, we are all supposed to take on the ministry of John the Baptist saying, we must decrease. He must increase. It's great to have a daddy be a hero and a mama to be the hero, but point them to Christ. You want to know who my hero is? Jesus. Our children are going to imitate us in all kinds of ways. Some of our children are Aggies, even though they've, they're not even in high school. How does that work? It's discipleship. My kids are Rockets fans, and they really have no other reason to be them other than it's what we are, discipleship. And so as Paul tells the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is what we're saying to them. Imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. Look to Jesus. I fully believe, church, that the best children's ministry in Texas isn't on Sundays at Redeemer Church. It's really not in any church on a Sunday morning. The best children's ministry in the world, it's the 24-7 ministry that God has put in your children's lives. It's you. You modeling, you teaching, you capturing rep after rep after rep the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And with God's help, we can do this together. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And the word that he has commanded you today shall be on your heart, shall be with you always. And you shall teach your children diligently <laughs> to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. Let's teach them about our great God and Savior. With God's help, we can do this. Let's pray together.